Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 136 for Monday, April 12th, 2021. My name is Joel Duggan and joining me as always is Pixel Riffs. You might know him as Johnny. I got that backwards. <laughs> Hello. Uh, this is a podcast about Minecraft, but sometimes we play other games. And in the render distance this week, you can hear us talking all about the satisfaction of Satisfactory, the uh, fun farming in Stardew Valley and the lure of the looter shooter. If you want to listen more to Joel and I just talking about whatever we feel like talking about before we start the show and sometimes after we finish the show, you can get the extended conversation by subscribing to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. You'll get us access to a special RSS feed that has the render distance in it. But uh, here in the main show, we talk about Minecraft all day long and uh, we often play minecraft all day long as in your case joel you've been uh, designing some more stuff for your medieval city this week yes indeed uh once again i have magically i don't know how i managed to pull this off uh i finished up the mossy goat tavern in Ind, uh which is uh, just across the street from the bakery that i talked about last week uh it's a much larger build way more complicated uh, i believe i might have had the foundation laid before i started this weekend but everything above ground really had to take shape and uh it was more complicated than i than i first thought and uh i am thrilled with the results uh i it's the first time of really doing like a a big build that has like an a, a larger second floor than the bottom floor uh i was transitioning from stone into wood and green terracotta hence the the mossy goat for the name of it um very much inspired by my just a loose memory of uh, the Prancing Pony from the village of Bree mm -hmm. in the Fellowship of the Ring. Um, so not a big place, just meant to have, like you walk in and there's a barkeep that greets you and either gives you a room or gives you a beer or whatever. And uh, then there was an upstairs with an attic. And so I, I put together all this stuff and uh, really started to notice now that I've got a couple of buildings around this square, specifically some taller ones, how... When you're in the medieval town now walking around, I'm considering how everything now looks from all parts of the town. And it's really starting to feel like it's got a skyline now, nice. which is, it's really, really, it's really, really fun. Um, I've added some towers. Uh, it, I didn't need to in for the inn. It's actually part of the building next door, even though I designed it to look like it's part of the inn. It, it really just gives a very small shop next to the inn a staircase that's outside of the building so that you don't have to sacrifice like three by three blocks inside your shop to dedicate a staircase to go up to the next floor. Mm -hmm. um, so that kind of stuff is there. At, started adding balconies. So there's all these points in the town where you can actually get up above the roof line and look out in one direction or another. Or in this case, both actually. The, the tower has got balconies on both sides, uh, both east and west. Uh, one looking over the river, the other one looking over the the east gate. So, um, yeah, I just it's really really coming together quite nicely. And um, in in uh, in a live kind of uh, test, I also installed the tables and chairs data pack from Chuck Chuck version four point three, which is a complete rework. He only just re released it. Uh, they only just released it oh, a week ago, maybe. Uh, and I got a DM on Discord from Chuck Chuck, uh, because when I first started using the Tables and Chairs data pack, I realized that in order to utilize it, you need the accompanying texture pack that Chuck Chuck provides. And I thought that while it's very, very cool, I was like, it just kind of felt outside of vanilla Minecraft for me. So I went in and I modeled very vanilla-esque 
chairs. Like I mm-hmm. took his ornate tables and chairs and I brought them down to the bare basic bones. Basically just think like scaffolding, but sh- with oak texture, you know, just, just to make it look as close to vanilla as I could. And Chuck Chuck took inspiration from that. And when he redesigned the pack, he, uh, he took a lot of uh, ideas from what I had done and applied that to the pack now. And it's really cool because you create a new crafting block called the sawmill. And it looks like a log with a stone cutter blade on the top of it. And you just put planks into it and then click on a chair that you want to get the chair or the table out of it. Previously, you had to do like shaped um, crafting recipes with like slabs and, and fences and stuff like that, which was okay. And it felt very Minecrafty, but it was kind of cumbersome because you're just like, I'm, I'm using slabs and fences to make a stair it doesn't, or make a chair. It doesn't really make, you know, it was kind of hard to wrap your head around. And you had to remember all the different crafting recipes, which was kind of hard. Um, in this one, it's a lot more point and click, which is great. He has more options for more chair designs. Uh, he's incorporated all the nether woods, which is great. Uh, I believe there are some stone chairs and stone thrones in there as well. Uh, there are some other things that I didn't dabble in. Like he's he's added like mob trophies and he's added um, candelabras and stuff, which I didn't, I'm not really interested in. I, I specifically, I just want the basic tables and chairs. But what's nice about them is that uh, as you click with the furniture hammer, which is a small hammer that you can make with the pack, it changes the number of legs on the table. Oh, so that's it goes, fun. Yeah, so if you have a two by two table which is essentially four tables you can click the corner that you're facing and it'll eventually go from four legs to two legs to one leg and so you can have a two by two table with legs in the corners like it would normally be rather than 16 legs on a table yeah (laughs) which doesn't look which doesn't look very good Um, And, and presumably you can just put all of them on the inside corner and then have more of like a pillar supporting a table where like the 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 tabletop comes out towards the outside rather than it being supported yes. at all four corners by legs. That's clever. I like Absolutely. that as an approach. Yeah. And you can have a single one of the options for the table legs is you can create a pedestal table. So s- separately you could say, "Oh, I don't want a table with four legs. I want a, just a single like a single block table with just a one post in the middle." Yep. Similar to how people use a fence post and a pressure plate now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And one of the other options is, of course, no legs. So it means that if you want to, you could have like a three by nine table and then all the table pieces in the middle, you could just have no legs on them. <laughs> or, you, or you could use them as shelves. And because they, they're basically, I can't remember the exact term for it, but he uses some sort of data in Minecraft, gives it a random number that will just kind of keep it from conflicting with other data packs. And every time you hit the trap door, with a hammer, which is essentially these are trapdoors that made, they just look like tables with texture packs. And and so what happens is you cycle through the different options. And so you could use it as a shelf. And it so it means that you can have essentially a wood shelf of any wood type in the game that sits on a ledge, just like an, a, like a, an open or a closed trapdoor would be, I guess, you know, like in the same way that people use spruce trapdoors now for shelving. Yeah. Right. And so it's re- it's really versatile. It's really fun. Uh, Chuck Chuck was live in the chat <laughs> during the stream, which is great. Uh, and uh, it was really really fun to to check it out. The only thing that I will say about it that that felt odd to me as someone that plays vanilla Minecraft with some data packs for quality of life, but really we we keep the the play on the Citadel to vanilla 
um, this feels like a mod more than a data pack. Yeah, it, it's, it's even interesting. though it is a data pack. Yeah, we've we've talked about the blurring of the lines between data packs and mods on the show before, and so it's interesting that you're actually feeling that shift now when packs like this become a little bit more complex. And I think it's it's probably the fact that you've got so many different textures to play around with and it's adding so much to the game thanks to, I presume it has to work in tandem with something like Optifine to get all of the different textures in there because that that's just like different block oh, state textures, a right? Really good, it's a really good question. I, I want to say Optifine is needed, yeah. but it might not be. It might not be. I think it, it was before, but I feel like he moved away from that because it was causing a problem. I know that he mentioned that I, because I had Optifine running, his version of Optifine, some of the textures didn't show up, but in mine they did. And I, so I don't know whether it's it's essential. Um, no. But but either way, I, I think it's, hmm. it's great that you feel like it's versatile because that's always my first problem with whether it's mods or data packs, adding anything with different kind of you know, block states and different block models into Minecraft is that instantly a lot of those things feel very specialized. They've always just got one use and they're only really supposed to look like one thing. Whereas if you've got a table that you can also remove the legs from and it becomes a shelf and you can use it maybe for a bit of detail here and there as well, you know, you can make the ceiling kind of curve inwards slightly more if you have something with a wood plank texture on it that isn't a trap mm. door. Like you, mm -hmm. you can start to use that for sub block details that fit within the world of Minecraft already instead of it just being, you know, a model of a computer to go on your desk or something like that i think that yeah. versatility is really what i would look for in stuff like that to keep things feeling vanilla otherwise it just feels like you're adding in additional decorations to the scene that takes you out of the world of minecraft in a way yeah 100 uh, and thank you jumbo sale and our live chat for grabbing some optifine notes from uh the web page for from planet minecraft we'll have a link to all this in the show notes but you do not need optifine installed to have it work but optifine installed will hide the pig saddles that are kind of hidden inside the chairs which allows the player to sit in a chair and have your legs go straight out like you're sitting on the back of a, of a pig right which is yeah. nice uh, and before we move on, I'll say that the other thing that they he, that uh, they added into this, which was really, really cool, is that if you go behind a chair and you punch it, your shift punch it, you'll push it under the table because the chairs <laughs> are like essentially armor stands that are made invisible that are holding the model. And so you can, rather than having the chairs always like a meter from the table, you can actually push them in or have some of them pushed in. It just adds a little bit of life to the scene. Uh, and again, I don't plan on sitting on chairs. There's not a lot of um, player environment interaction in my builds, but I just the fact that I can walk through my now furnished in and have, you know, there be tables and chairs around rather than stairs and slabs, it, it makes a huge difference. That's super cool. Yeah, it def definitely helps with the ambience of something like an inn when you really want to use sub-block detail, but half the time the chairs are always stairs and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So what have you been up to, man? This week, I completed the last of the outstanding biome dioramas at the museum in the survival guide world. I have now built a scale model of sorts of a shattered savannah biome. Um, and... That was quite a challenge in a way. Like I've I've obviously had to stick with regular acacia trees uh, and so I couldn't necessarily build it to scale as such, but I wanted to give mm. at least the the vibe of a 
Shattered Savannah. So I kind of went with a few different elements that I wanted to recreate, largely constructed of stone, a little bit of coal ore at certain elevations, and then grass and coarse dirt, the acacia trees growing from the top, and then a few little fragments of floating terrain. And then I thought the thing that really defines Shattered Savannas for me, aside from just the height, is the fact that half the time they have water sources that start in one block in uh, the, the sort of highest reaches of these clumps of terrain and then they fall about a hundred blocks down into uh usually like a lake on the on the the ground level the sort of sea level terrain around it and so for for that i just threw a, a water source above and actually carved out the floor of this biome so that it actually you know curves inward and has a little hollow that the water all runs into which has the side effect of being able to contain the water but also makes the whole thing feel taller that kind of mm -hmm. negative space that i've added in by by building stuff under the floor level and i think it turned out really well i was really happy with this this kind of goes alongside the frozen ocean uh badlands mesa and mountain biomes that i figured i wasn't going to be able to do justice in a small space so i kind of highlighted those four as biomes that needed a larger area to illustrate what they were about and I thought that came together really well. I think it looks great. Yeah, no, it's to I mean, and even though, like you said, that you had to go with a full sized acacia um, in terms of the size of the logs, it doesn't feel like it. I, I, th I still feel it reads correctly, you know, like it just, yeah, it maybe feels like one of the lower parts where you're just you're close enough to the trees that they still feel like, you know, this distance. But it's it's too bad that we don't have like a, a a gray wood you know like an ash wood or something like that because then you could use like fence posts or something for the for the trunks of the trees and that would have given it the proper scale but like it this it's it, it's not missing anything you know yeah. it, the way that it is i mean if they want to do that with azalea then i'm not going to complain but yes absolutely no, me either i i think that there are definitely some parts of a shattered savannah that you could imagine looking like this and maybe expect to have another 60 or 70 block high thing above that that's like the mm -hmm. real shattered savannah but with the space that we had i figured that was that was pretty fun so that was what i got done in a survival guide that and flattening out some more terrain on the northern side of the museum because the biomes exhibit is on the southern side and looking at it from the air i realized i've been building a lot more on the south side of what is going to be this enormous building than i have on the north and i want to keep some like vague attempt at symmetry when i surround the entire thing in a structure so i guess i'm probably going to have to build a little bit more on the north side and i flattened it out as far as a river and hope that that will be enough space to do everything i want to do i'm now having to figure out do i want to start building upwards do i want to start digging out a basement layer for some of this and the answer is yes both but i yeah i will kind of need to figure out where the boundaries of this building are actually going to go just so that i don't keep doing the easy thing and building on the flat and then realize that i have you know, a, a building that I can't see from one end to the other in the render distance. Yeah, like a big, a big shopping mall that that it doesn't really feel like a museum. Do you have any plans to do like a mezzanine level where like the there'd be like a you can go upstairs, but then you can look down to some of the larger yes things that are that are going to be more than one floor. You know, absolutely, I do. Yeah, there are balconies going through some of the smaller rooms already, and the only reason nice. I haven't done more with that right now is that I didn't know 
quite what was going to be required for rooms like these biomes mm-hmm. exhibits but yeah one of one of my favorite museums the one that i'm basing a lot of my idea of what i want to do with this museum is the natural history museum in london and for their dinosaur exhibits there were a lot of raised walkways that you could walk on through that so that you could be like eye level with some of the dinosaur skeletons that were built from the ground up and meant to be sort of more realistic heights so if you want to look a t-rex in the mouth you had to be off the ground a fair way to begin with um Mm. And so I wanted to get that kind of feeling, but yeah, be able to look down on some of the stuff like in the trees exhibit so you can see the tops of the trees instead of walking through at ground level. So yeah, I'm I'm thinking about stuff like that and trying not to bite off more than I can chew, but this is always going to be a big project and I feel like once it all comes together, it's going to be really great. Um, the other thing I'd done this week is kind of a follow-up to the color-coded storage system that I did in my Minecraft RTX world. I've now got color-coded villager trading as well. So I built on the surface um, a, a trading booth for 12 of the professions, and I think there are 13, but there were 12 obvious colors that I could use before getting into, you know, the black through white, the grayscale stuff that in RTX isn't necessarily going to show up as a color, it's just going to show up as, you know, brighter or dimmer light if I use glass over a sea lantern, which is what I've been doing most of this with. So now in 12 separate booths, I have one of basically each profession aside from a shepherd represented there. And I've just been experimenting with Bedrock Villager trading more than anything, but I thought it was kind of fun to color code their different booths. And now it looks like the villagers are in some sort of weird like you know socially separated nightclub (laughs) whenever night falls and i'll provide a a screenshot for the show notes that's got this during you know a a kind of dusky twilighty kind of time so that you can really see the color pop because during the day when there's natural light you don't tend to see the effects of those colored lights all that much but they seem to be having fun so (laughs) i'm on board with it yeah i uh We call our visual villager trading hall on the Citadel the Hotel of Eternity, mm-hmm. uh, where you're welcome to stay, but you're never leaving. Uh, I feel like this is like an. It looks like a neon prison. It's like, you know, <laughs> it is a little it's, bit it's yeah. like, because it's so because it's so utilitarian when, in the design. Uh, I love the colors. I, I mean, I watched the, the video when you made it, and it, again, it's such a great way because I often feel that using signs in Minecraft, it, it, it's what we have and it's what we're used to. But color coding uh, is such a, it's a much nicer way to provide direction, information, you know, what's in the storage bin, what's, what the villager is trading, you know, like, uh, refresh my memory, was it green for farmer or yellow for farmer? Um, I think it's yellow. Yeah. It's kind of difficult to tell the difference between yellow and lime green sometimes. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I think as the farmer's hat was yellow, I went with yellow. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes sense to you. Like it, it, you know, and it, it makes sense that, that that's the you know, the, the tray that you're going to have there because it has an organic color that you associate with, you know, plants and leaves and things yeah, like that. Yeah, the, uh, um, the ones I chose for the blacksmith professions because they trade me all the diamond gear were the blue range. So we have cyan, yeah. light blue, and blue is the toolsmith, right. the weaponsmith, and the armorer. No, it, make, it makes total sense. I think I'm going uh, to start calling this a neon, like, a capsule hotel in the kind of, like, cyberpunk <laughs> kind of way. I yeah. think that's probably a good they, way like, of putting it uh like pods they have them in like i feel like i've seen them in in 
not even in sci-fi stuff. It's like real stuff that they have in Japan. Oh, yeah, they're a, a real thing in Japan for sure. Yeah, real, I, real I think thing where you they, can just rent a little room. They get used as a, a kind of trope in a lot of sci-fi books that have Japan as a setting or kind of take mm. that that kind of flavor and, and just project it into a far future kind of scenario. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, the I, I read uh, William Gibson's Neuromancer a while ago, one of those kind of foundational works of cyberpunk literature. And the the character, the, the narrator stays in a capsule hotel like pretty early on. So yeah, I, I kind of have that vibe in mind for some of this, even though the area around that is still fairly medieval feeling. I'm just going to gonna gonna work in details like this kind of you know just generating ideas for what i can do with the rtx stuff before i move on to something bigger that's right because you're talking about doing a more cyberpunk build down the line once you yeah. kind of like stretch your legs and get used to what rtx can do right yeah the, the lighting engine just lends itself to stuff like that you want to be able to use color and you can do so much with that but i think a lot of it is going to yeah tend towards more modern builds where electric lights and colorful lighting is going to be more common in a more modern setting anyway so it makes a lot of sense but uh yeah villagers as it turns out are much improved on bedrock since last time i played uh i've been curing these guys for better trades from zombie villagers and last time i played cured zombie villagers were locked on one profession they still had all of the new workstation blocks and stuff but you couldn't change any of their uh their professions which was possible now uh and and much better if you didn't decorate your entire house with workstation blocks like i did the amount of barrels <laughs> i had to break just to stop them being fishermen uh was uh. was pretty impressive but yeah i i liked um you know just kind of cycling through trades and stuff it just felt a lot more like what i'm used to from bedrock edition now so it was it was painless relatively speaking as 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 painless as working with villagers can be anyway i i feel like um the range at which they detect profession blocks is a bit far because i've had that problem too where you're, you're trying to get them to do one thing and they're picking up another it's like where even is that like I, yeah. that's not uh-huh. that's not even in this build that's like next door i feel like that's a it's a bit far for me, but I imagine it probably makes sense in the natural generation situation where the villages are pretty, can be pretty widespread in terms of how far a bed might be from a profession block. Yeah, and it's actually quite useful if you want to basically bait them around, if you want to make sure that they walk to a certain place instead of building a giant tunnel around them like you used to have to. You can just break their workstation, put it like seven or eight blocks away, watch them walk up to it, break it again, and and kind of, you know, bait them over to wherever you want them to go that way, which made moving them around a little bit easier. Um, The one thing I think is different between Java and Bedrock with this right now is that Java villagers don't adopt the profession until they can pathfind to and physically be close to their workstation, whereas I think Bedrock villagers are just detecting okay it's possible for me to pathfind to that and then they get the professional remotely and yeah Mm. that that's still like a slightly tricky thing to navigate but as long as you know about it it's it's fairly intuitive to work around right on what do you think we get into some news yeah this is going to be an interesting week to talk about so uh let's get into it this week we have a new snapshot. It is a Minecraft Java Snapshot 21W14A. The full patch notes are on minecraft.net. It's a smaller snapshot coming after the Easter holiday for the developers at Mojang. But the new features in 21W14A include added raw copper, raw iron, and raw gold items. Tough blobs can now be found between heights 0 and 16. 
smeltable ore drops are now part of the game. Ores are smeltable, uh, sorry, ores that are smeltable now drop corresponding raw item forms of the ore instead of the ore block. These raw ores can be smelted just like previous ore blocks. This is to prevent cluttering in the inventory and have consistency with fortune on all ores. Ore blocks from old worlds uh, and silk touched ore blocks will continue to be smeltable. Changes in 21W14A include fully oxidized copper can now be waxed. There's a number of bugs that you can check out at the Minecraft.net article, but the ones that we thought were worthy of note are the world gen data packs can cause crashes when first generated world. Fishing doesn't animate or render the rod line bobber anymore. The end dimension generates differently that it, than it did previously. We actually spoke about this in the last episode, so that's been fixed. Excessive pillager spawning in pillager outposts has been fixed, and ocean monuments are completely empty. That would have been frustrating if you're playing on a snapshot world, so that has been fixed as well. The uh, the other thing we wanted to highlight was another Meta Minecrafter video. This was Grandparent Gamers. You can find that on the Minecraft YouTube channel. And it was basically a short interview with senior Minecrafter and streamer Bacon Mom, alongside a chat with Jeff Brand, a professor of communications and creative media at Bond University in Australia. Joel, you brought this one to the show and you had a chance to watch it. I haven't quite uh, touched on this one yet, but uh, do you want to share your thoughts on the Meta Minecrafter? So this was quick. It was something I stumbled upon and uh, I watched it because I recognized Bacon Mom. Uh, she has come across my Twitch feed a number of times and I've tuned in once or twice. It's super laid back, uh, pretty chill as you can imagine. Uh, she is a senior, she's a grandma and she's a Minecrafter. Uh, she is a lifetime artist, professional artist of over 40 years and now she makes art in Minecraft. And I thought the video that Minecraft put up on their YouTube channel did a great job of showcasing uh, Bacon Mom and what she does. Uh, I love that her creative world looks like quilts. Uh -huh. <laughs> like it looks like it looks like quilts in Minecraft. It's amazing and it's huge. Like it's they're not little builds. These are massive, right? And I just I like the juxtaposition that they did of interviewing uh, Jeff Brand because he was talking about the number one reason why people over the age of sixty five play video games, and that is to keep their brain engaged. Now, for most people, that's probably going to be, you know, a stereotype of like, you know, Candy Crush or some other, you know, Facebook game or something. But there are some people out there that play video games. There's people that are older that are out there that stream on Twitch. Uh, I've seen a number of people that play Satisfactory that are older. And of course, they were highlighting Minecraft and talking about Minecraft in, the, in this video. And uh, Jeff Brand had some interesting things to say about the the way that grandparents will explain that they got into Minecraft as a way to connect with their grandkids, have the grandkids teach them how to play and how that has created a much closer bond with the grandkids because they are not interacting at, I'm going to use big air quotes here, forced situations like family dinner. Like I like family dinners now. I can't say I did when I was eight, uh -huh. right? You know, you want to eat, you want good food, you want dessert. How fast can I get to the dessert? How <laughs> how fast can I get back to whatever I was doing, right? You don't necessarily think that you're getting quality time with your grandparents at the dinner table, but that's how they see it. Uh, so the stuff that I remember from when I was a kid is not every single family dinner, although I have some memories from them. But I remember sitting on the floor in my grandparents' living room playing with Lego as my grandfather watched 
and we and we did it together. I remember building Lego or building a model with my dad when I was a kid. So I remember those interactions, the play interactions versus the social interactions, I guess is what we would call them. And um, I'd be curious to hear more about Jeff Brand's work because he had some really interesting things to say. So I would encourage everybody to check it out. Uh, Bacon Mom is, is very sweet and the whole video is like seven minutes. So like do yourself a favor on a Monday and just it's a feel good, feel good video. That's super cool. Yeah, it's it's always great to hear, again, how broad the Minecraft community is. I know we have a number of people who are grandparents or, or older players from our community, from my own community as well. And it's always just great to hear such a, a fun variety of perspectives. I think they're doing a really good job of highlighting those people on Minecraft's YouTube channel as well. They're not diving into the, the typical content creator type of folks. They are casting a much broader net and looking at the global scope of Minecraft in a way that is admirable. I think. Uh, so yeah, I will definitely uh, watch this after after the show. Uh, in the meantime, though, let's talk about this snapshot. I was quite amused by the fact that it said a smaller snapshot after the Easter holiday because the change itself feels weirdly big to me. These raw ores now dropping from iron, uh, copper, and gold instead of obtaining the ore block. It feels like such a major shift and one of those shifts that inevitably some people were going to come out of the woodwork and say that they didn't like because it doesn't feel like Minecraft anymore, you know, in the same way that the, the zombie pig man changing uh, <laughs> kind of felt like they were removing an old part of the game in favor of something new. But I quite like this as a change. Where do you where are you? Uh, how are you feeling about it? I think it. I think it feels like Minecraft. I'm embarrassed that I didn't point this out sooner. Like, yeah. uh -huh. I was just like, oh, right. When you mine gold and iron, it drops gold and iron blocks, it, like ore blocks. It doesn't do the same thing that every other ore does in the yeah. game. It's, <laughs> it's, like... it's just been a fact of life in Minecraft for so long that yeah. we've, we've never really thought about it changing. <laughs> but now, now that it does, I think it's really interesting. It makes ores... A lot more consistent and as somebody who makes tutorials it's going to be really weird explaining to people that this ever wasn't a thing because anybody mm. who joins minecraft now is just going to go oh okay you silk touch it to get the old block or you break it with a regular pickaxe or fortune to get the drops from the block and it's going to be really weird for people who start playing now going back to older videos and going wait a minute why is he getting the entire iron block and be us just shrugging and being like that's just kind of how they did it i guess <laughs> and like i i like I like the sprites for them. I like the fact that, uh, yeah, raw iron and golds sort of they they fit the aesthetic of the blocks themselves in a in a new way because of the ore textures having recently changed. I feel like it it sort of it it goes hand in hand with the ore block texture change for me. Is that the behavior of these blocks is changing for players who knew anything different to begin with? Yeah, I mean it. It it makes sense to me. It it looks good. I mean, um, I I mean to to start off on some positive stuff here. Like I really like the raw gold texture. Holy smoke, does it look good? <laughs> There's a lot of people saying it looked like chicken nuggets, and I'm like, you understand, chicken nuggets were basically meant to look like gold nuggets right like i feel like the gold nuggets <laughs> probably came before chicken nuggets <laughs> <laughs> it's a like chicken and the egg problem. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly uh i yeah i i mean copper looks good too uh i mean it's it's fine i i wouldn't know what i would do differently about copper but um the only thing that i do find looks a bit odd is iron i i find it it um it might be me maybe a little bit too accurate to real life uh or perhaps because the other ones are so 
vibrant and cool looking that iron just kind of pales by comparison you know like if i had seen iron on its own would i be as critical of it i don't know um but i feel like it might be an opportunity to go maybe a little bit more cartoony with the iron maybe um, if it had if it had more of the same color uh as an iron ingot in it i which as i know that's not how it really works in 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 stone but it it might have a little bit more ooh shiny if the sprite was actually a little shiny, you know? Yeah, um, I, I think I think the thing about it is that it's meant to... It's following the same color palette as the the veins of iron in an iron ore block, which yeah. don't really look like refined iron ingots at all. Like, they, they, t- they sort of lose that uh, sort of peachy brown uh, mm-hmm. vibe to them when they get smelted into something that looks shiny and silvery. So, yeah, it's it's kind of a difficult line to walk there, but it does have quite a bit of contrast in it just for shading purposes, I expect. Yeah. To make it look like a little clump. And that that's that's the thing that's been tripping me up by the way is not necessarily the fact that these items exist, but the nomenclature for them because I instantly want to start calling them nuggets, but for iron and gold we already have an item that's a nugget and it's a different thing and it's worth mm-hmm. about a ninth of what we have when a an iron ore clump or cluster or lump or piece i don't know i'm not certain what we what we call these things collectively other than just raw iron um yeah that, that's the thing that i've been kind of struggling over when i've been explaining this in in videos but overall, because the iron the iron ore is the block right like that's what mm-hmm. they call the block it's called the iron ore yes because yeah. because i think next to outside of nugget or would be the next thing that I would think would be the most common way to call it. But of course, we already have that in the game. And I think, speaking of textures, boy, do you have to take a look at those iron and gold nugget textures and maybe revisit them because now they feel real dated yeah. <laughs> with, <laughs> with this new stuff, right? And which reminds me, is there copper nuggets? Can you do copper nuggets? There, there are no copper nuggets because they wouldn't really have a use. Like they don't right. break down into anything that can then be crafted using copper nuggets in the same way yeah. that, you know, iron nuggets didn't really have a use for a while, but have now been turned into crafting recipes for lanterns and chains. And right. I expect a few people uh, add a data pack recipe for chain mail using it because it kind of looks like a bunch of iron nuggets grafted together. Um, but yeah, I, I think copper nuggets might come in future and there's there's always opportunities to open up discussion about what copper can be used for after the Caves and Cliffs update as the game mm-hmm. continues into future updates because Iron has been having new recipes added for it since it was first implemented. Um, let's let's talk a bit about the the sort of justification for this. Not that I feel like it needs to be justified. I like them just saying we wanted to make ore blocks behave the same across the board makes perfect sense to me but they also said this is to prevent cluttering the inventory how do you feel about that element of it because i think that's the thing that's been most divisive in discussions i've seen about these i think that it's six of one half dozen of the other it's you know it depends on how you play and it depends on how much you collect uh, if you go at this with a regular pickaxe, it's better because obviously if you run into gold ore in stone or in deep slate, both of those will give you um, raw gold. Previously, they would have given you two different blocks. So then there's two different inventory spots that are taken up by, you know, 16 of one and 12 of the other, you know. Yeah. Now you're just going to have, what's that, 38, 28, 28 you know, in one stack of just gold ore that you can then smelt later. Um, It gets complicated if you save it all 
or you have a fortune pickaxe with you as you're going and you collect more of this stuff. Well, uh, thanks to a, a video I watched from Il Mango, uh, they expressed that you get 2.2 times more iron, gold, and copper raw ore when you use fortune on these blocks now. Well, that comes out to if you mined a stack of each deep slate gold and stone gold, you would have two stacks. Mm -hmm. If you used if you used um, if you used fortune on it, highest fortune, let's say fortune three, that's four point four <laughs> stacks, right? So it's it's more stacks, not less. Yeah. Uh, I think they're kind of relying on a couple of things. First of all, of you not finding a full stack of everything. So not automatically using your inventory in the most efficient way. And mm -hmm. then I think when it comes to iron in particular, less so with gold, but more with iron, when you're first caving for it and you're not prepared with your inventory to acquire a whole bunch of iron at once, more often than not, you're smelting it and then turning it into useful stuff as you go. So mm -hmm. I think on trips when people are going to be mining for iron more uh you know intentionally then they're probably going to prepare for that and clear out their inventory or have a chest nearby or something that they can go back and dump the stuff in if inventory clutter becomes a problem and i think it's it's most significant that they are at least paying attention to more inventory clutter problems in the first place and whether this is thanks to community feedback or their own playtesting about deep slate and regular stone having two different ore blocks and that just meaning your inventory fills up i think it's good that they're at least trying to figure out ways of addressing that and they could just be pushing like well no take a bundle with you when you go caving and then you can tuck all of the deep slate ore in there if you have less of that but they're, they're providing multiple ways around the problem like we've been talking about previously with the inventory situation and how it's broken down into lots of little problems and lots of little solutions instead of one big catch-all you know add a couple of extra rows to the inventory kind of solution so yeah i i think it's it's a good discussion to have is you know mathematically speaking it's not necessarily going to save you that much more space if you have very specific conditions but i think circumstantially it's going to work out for you pretty well at least on your first caving trip when you're going and mining down to iron levels and deep slate levels and looking in both patches for iron before you even get fortune, I think it's going to be a space saver, which is going to hopefully be worthwhile for players. And I don't I don't go for fortune right away. I go for silk touch, at which point this won't change anything for me, right? So it, I, it, play style and when you're going collecting i think is a, another thing too i think it's a huge shift for the early game like absolutely and i love the consistency across the board but i'm thinking that as players um bring forth the their just existing play style or people that have worlds like i do with the citadel and you know we're not changing it when 117 drops so uh we all have silk dutch and we all have fortune so the chances of me carrying both pickaxes around not not high. I'm mm -hmm. probably just going to go in with the silk touch and fortune things later. At which point, it like I'm, it's going to be the exact same experience for the most part. Um, the one thing I um, I can't remember if I brought it up at this stage or not. Um, maybe this is something I could say for the discussion later. But um, I just feel like I store a lot of my or blocks in the block form. Uh-huh. And 
as far as we know yet, you can't do that with raw iron, raw gold, and raw copper. Yeah, you can't right? make like a block of raw iron in the same way yeah. that you can make a block of smelted iron. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not even suggesting that as like, a, I'm not like as a, as a builder, I don't necessarily want another textural. I mean, we, I'm not going to complain. But <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm I, like, I do. Hello. Yeah. But <laughs> like it's, it's not high on the list, right? Well, sure. I'm thinking about like, you know, when I've got four stacks of coal in my inventory and I can condense them down by dividing them by nine into like, you know, a, a stack and a half of coal blocks. Uh, which just saves space and time, especially if you're dealing with like a, a mine where you've got chests and chests and chests of stuff that you're not going to use right away. Like I find condensing stuff like that is is a lot better. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's, it's one of those things where I can see how it will and could reduce inventory clutter. Uh, and I think the consistency of the behavior is far and above the better aspect to this oh, i don't think it's yeah. going to do a lot to to narrow things down inventory wise but i think that the consistency is a is a big is a big step and like i said the the textures are real pretty what i'm wondering now is is there potential for items like this to pop up in other areas because we're used to getting iron ingots or gold ingots from loot chests but what if raw iron and gold and copper start showing up in those instead i mean it's it's not going to make a huge difference to everything but for people who tend to scrounge iron from you know villagers chests and stuff in the early game to make an instant iron pickaxe instead of going through the different tiers of tools like is it going to force a smelting stage if you find iron in raw form in those chests instead of iron ingots same with gold um there is potential for these to also show up in archaeology digs maybe lumps of raw iron come out of dirt now um considering that we knew that the diamond and emerald blocks they showed us at minecraft live were placeholders um there's a few other things that drop iron like iron golems for example uh zombies occasionally the drowned are going to drop copper and piglins would drop gold ingots but what if those get changed to the the raw forms i i kind of wonder if there is scope for some of that to shift around and what that means for the the balance of the game and i would imagine they're going to stay away from having iron golems drop raw iron because you get the impression that the iron golem is made out of iron blocks that's kind of the crafting recipe players have for them and so they've already been kind of smelted and processed and refined so that makes sense but i feel like for the other mobs the fact that they drop iron at all is a bit of a mystery so why not have it be raw iron this time like they've been mining and just been zombified before they could return and smelt anything mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, worth noting too that uh, at the moment nether gold ore has not been affected yes it's it still breaks down into nuggets <laughs> confusingly enough right yeah I, I wouldn't be surprised if that eventually changes but so right now nether gold ore the the trade-off there is that it it's not as rewarding as even the even if we talk about the old way that a gold oh no it's the same if you have silk touch it's the same if you grab another gold ore and smelt it it turns into one ingot but if you just mine it you have a range of i can't remember what the ratio is for nuggets but it's it's a, it's around 1.8 or something like that i can't remember what it is with fortune but it's, it's like four versus eight nuggets or something like that mm-hmm. um but it's not quite a full ingot if you mine it versus if you smelt it with silk touch you get the full ingot like you would in the overworld do you know that if you smelt redstone ore, you do get redstone out of it in a furnace? Like, all of those ore blocks can be smelted. You just get one item. 
so that's that's what it, I knew that that that's what it's going to feel like smelting a block of iron. Now it's going to be a waste because fortuning it would be better. That's the that's the funniest part of this for me is that yeah, if you smelt you know emerald or lapis or any of the stuff that can give you multiple products when you fortune it right now it, it can be smelted in a furnace just like any other ore block can for consistency of mechanics there but it only gives you one item and so you can really annoy anybody who feels like getting the most efficient amount of items out of everything by just smelting all of your redstone ore and only getting one at a time if you feel like trolling people anyway you know it's, it's probably because i watched so many let's plays when i first started playing minecraft that i just learned the right way to do it and never yeah. attempted the old way you know absolutely what I mean? it's what it's what we mm. tend to do and and that i don't think that ever really was the old way for stuff like redstone and lapis but it's just a mechanic that they put in in case people try to smelt it you can you probably shouldn't but you can and and speaking of smelting that was another thought i had was that what if you're smelting an entire piece of iron armor we've we've all run across this situation where like you get mob drops or you get something like you know a chest plate that you think oh, i've got diamond now i may as well smelt down this old iron armor that i'm not going to use anymore and you only get one flimsy iron nugget out of it which is again one ninth of a, a usable iron ingot I kind of wonder what if you can scrap your iron armor now and it turns into raw iron that you can then smelt a second time so there is a bit of effort required but you can smelt that back into an iron ingot. It feels a bit more realistic to me that way than only salvaging a tiny percentage of an iron chest plate to me. Um, but that that is potentially a, a balance issue and I know getting infinite armor from mob spawners kind of maybe makes that a little unbalanced but yeah i i'm i'm curious as to how those items can get used in other ways than just digging them out of the ground i, I guess it depends on like what you can do in the game uh and whether or not you're playing in peaceful because that would be i mean it wouldn't happen in peaceful but like with an iron farm like who cares about a couple of drops from a zombie spot yeah right? like it yeah. just it's not going to be a big deal um i i'm with you actually and i've actually i've worked on a a data pack uh, that allows just a recipe thing where you can put in the iron or diamond armor of of choice and get out a better ratio. It was not one to one. You don't get five diamonds out of a diamond helmet, uh, but it would be nice to get two or three. You know, mm -hmm. as if like breaking it down causes some damage, but you still can salvage some some bits out of it. Uh, I I wrote it because um, of all the end rating, and you I don't even use diamond armor i wear iron armor for the challenge in the game and so i'd go end raiding and get a bunch of shulker boxes and all this diamond gear that would just sit in a chest i can't stack it i can't yeah. do anything with it mm -hmm. and, i mean i could give it to server mates sure but like um what if it's curse of binding you know like just stuff like that it would be nice to be able to to at least get one ingot if not a couple out of that that would be great for early game or skyblock you know like if you if you were able to you know, in a very limited situation where iron is so precious, you know, for hoppers or whatever it is that you want to automate, the fact that you killed a zombie and they dropped their, you know, their their chest plate and you get two ingots out of that, like, that would be amazing. A couple or of, like you said, raw iron, rather. Yeah, yeah. Um, a couple of minor changes to touch on from the snapshot before we move on to emails. Uh, fully oxidized copper now being waxable doesn't quite make sense at first, but then you consider that they've just added a mechanic where lightning bolts clean uh, the 
uh, patina off of copper blocks, so they kind of reverse the aging process a couple of stages. I think it's probably a good thing that we can now wax that. Again, also for consistency, because I, I found when I introduced copper to people in videos and whatnot, they would always say, like, why isn't there a waxed, fully oxidized copper block in the creative inventory? And I said, well, because you don't need to wax it at that point. It's aged as far as it possibly will. But this prevents the reverse of that process of it being de-aged by being cleaned off. I'm not certain. I, I suppose you can you can do this with an axe now as well because you can you can apply wax with honeycomb and then you scrape it off with an axe before you scrape off the the aging of the copper block. So I guess it doesn't necessarily prevent players from doing that, but it prevents lightning strikes from ruining your carefully created builds, I suppose. Man, there's a way to troll somebody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> walk around and strip the wax off their copper oh man. and then and then install a lightning rod in a, a careful location yeah, yeah. <laughs> i could do that too um something else from the El mango video that i'll have a link to in the show notes because it was so well put together is that uh, with the addition of raw copper and waxed oxidized copper and related blocks there are now 36 different items in the copper block family coming in caves of cliffs there you go. Copper has has more depth than you think, although I think people are still looking forward to it doing more than blocks, the lightning rod and the spyglass. But we yeah, will see. There is there is time for copper. And now it's time for email. Uh, if you'd like to email the show, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Uh, first of all, we have a, uh, a follow-up from last week's show. Uh, so Much Lag, our correspondent from last week, wrote in to add that the mod pack they mentioned in their email last week, uh, which was about branch mining versus mining in caves, was called Rebirth of the Night. It's often listed as R-O-T-N. And that was the one where the ores weren't subsurface. You would find all of the ores just at surface level in caves. So interesting if uh, you want to check out that. Uh, you can go ahead and find uh, Rebirth of the Night. Uh, our first email this week, though, comes in from Calamari King, who wanted to write to us about mob spawns and ambience in the deep dark. Hello, Pix and Joel. Recently, when exploring the new 1.17 cave generation, I was experiencing many deaths due to the amount of mobs that spawned and jumped on me from above. This was fine, as I know that it adds challenge to the game and I was playing on hard mode, but after pondering on it for a while, I was wondering whether normal hostile mobs, such as creepers, zombies, skeletons, etc., should spawn in the deep dark. In my opinion, mobs shouldn't spawn in the deep dark as it could prove an irritating challenge, and many players could lose their items due to getting overpowered by normal mobs and the warden. However, my main reasoning for thinking this is that it could ruin the ambience and mood of the deep dark. In my mind, the deep dark seems like a very lonely, creepy place, and having lots of hostile mobs down there could disrupt this. Also, the skulk sensor would be very annoying with too many hostile mobs, I'd be curious to see your guys' stance on the hostile mob spawns in the Deep Dark, as well as seeing how you picture the mood of the Deep Dark. Calamari King was shot off a ladder. These are just death messages people are writing at the end of their emails now. It's, <laughs> it's a little bit macabre, but I guess that fits the tone of the uh, the correspondence, right? Yes. Yeah, I, I, I wonder if it was a clever exit or a rehash of what happened yeah it could, it could have been <laughs> yeah, a flashback in, in the yeah. deep dark yeah 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 in the deep dark uh, corners of the world i um 
I never thought about like vast amounts of mobs spawning in the deep uh, combined with skulk sensors and the xylophone that would happen mm-hmm. uh, as a result. Uh, that could actually be really noisy. Like it could sound, it could sound like a circus if you're in the right spot or the wrong spot, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, I don't know whether that could work to your advantage though. It might make fighting the warden better if the warden goes after skeletons and zombies if you're sneaking around not making any noise and they're making a ruckus that might be your ticket to get out of there or just not deal with the warden at all right so that could be advantageous depending on which way you look at it um but i i agree with so far my i don't know my jump to conclusion impression of the deep dark is dark quiet spooky very little noise outside of the weird things coming out of skulk sensors in the warden like i don't anticipate hearing zombies and skeletons making it feel new you know or scary it just makes me feel oh it's just the same old right yeah so yeah i i I don't know about having like no overworld uh hostile mobs spawning below y0 but perhaps in whatever zone or area they designate as deep dark perhaps they just won't start there they won't spawn within the deep dark so there's a chance for you to be 16 or 20 blocks away from anything that's going to make a traditional hostile mob noise when you're in the deep dark and have more unique experience yeah um there are a few different ways this could be done i think uh christopher in our live chat has just suggested if skulk blocks are unspawnable that could allow for mobs to you know be be prevented from spawning in that area rather than have to work out like programmatically what kind of like deep dark zone is uh that that mobs wouldn't spawn I, I, because we we kind of figure that the underground biomes aren't really going to be biomes in that sort of pre-coded sense they're going to be more just regions of biome paint over the top of things we feel like maybe the deep dark is going to be the same there needs to be some way of keeping other mobs out of there because this email is exactly right it's going to confuse the warden and make it a less creepy experience for players if they're not one-on-one with this enormous monster and i feel like there are too many things that could prove to be a distraction in that respect and also it compromises the player's sense of, well, I have to sneak around now because sneaking around doesn't work for the other mobs. Uh, yeah. if, if a skeleton sees you, it's going to shoot you and then you probably have to fight back and then, you know, the whole, the jig is up. So, yeah, I do think, um, you know, when the Warden is implemented, I think we're going to see players, if mobs get introduced to those area, trying to use one or two mobs tactically rather than them spawning in a place like that because you're right a lot of the ambience comes from a kind of one-on-one horror experience like the feeling of being chased is you know quite important to horror as a a a genre and i think that's the way people are going to feel when they're running away from the warden having a bunch of zombies and stuff coming in at you from the walls might you know heighten that somewhat but it's also going to distract you from the main experience of the whole thing you know you're you're going to be running from everything at that point rather than running from one thing specifically um Mm. i think the the trick is going to be how we bring in passive mobs into the deep dark and I, i was kind of wondering about this because of the demonstration we've seen being you know throwing a snowball distracting the warden with the noise that the projectile makes as it impacts on the wall and bringing a stack of eggs with you into the deep dark and how much of a distraction that can potentially be because one egg breaking against the wall 
you know, distract the warden for a second, one egg breaking against the wall and then turning into four chickens <laughs> could potentially distract the warden for a lot longer. And so it remains to be seen how much those other mobs are going to really factor into skulk sensor stuff and whether the warden is going to want to fight them or not. I think with skulk sensors, we've seen them dial into specifically actions that the player can take and separate those out into the different frequencies that can be you know, detected and turned into redstone signals with a comparator. So the warden could potentially be programmed to ignore other mob sounds and only really zero in on sounds that the player makes specifically. But I see that being more of an issue than just removing mobs from the environment entirely. So I think mm. it just it just makes more sense for there to be fewer mobs there overall. I also kind of wonder whether there's some fun mechanics that could be just, I don't want to say exploited, but enjoyed by if you find the warden and you want to use the warden to run your mob farm like how cool would it be if you just send all your mobs into a room with the warden and just let him do do his <laughs> yeah. worst or hit or their worst right like i just there's there's some fun potential there so i hope that it's not like a will always ignore hostile mobs situation and more that the environment that the uh, warden is naturally found in is just not conducive to mobs spawning or mobs getting to them um we don't know the deep dark might not be connected to any caves you might have to dig to get to it all the time which means that you know traditional hostile mobs couldn't get to it naturally for sure yeah it, it's i just i'm just really curious to see how the warden is going to work at yeah all me too at this point mm -hmm. <laughs> i'm like i'm, I'm yeah every, every week i feel like i repeat myself going if this week is the warden snapshot then all bets are off but uh yeah we, we got to see we can't rush these things Next email comes in from Elkhorn95, a landscape artist member in our community. Lighting options in caves and cliffs. Hi, Johnny and Joel. I really liked your discussion in episode 135 about the light block and how a universal light source, while intended for creative use, would be pretty desirable in survival, although tough to implement. As I pondered that myself, I wondered if a midway solution is found in a mechanic introduced with the light block and could be implemented to give us more versatile light overall, a dimmer. The light block can be quote unquote tuned to a particular light level between zero and 15 by clicking on it. Why couldn't that functionality be given to both varieties of lanterns as well as a redstone lamp? While this doesn't solve the problem of mob proofing, it would provide a level of lighting and versatility that we've only sort of gotten at this point with sea pickles and the upcoming candles. Quote unquote, mighty curious, uh, as to what you might think of the idea, thanks for reading this and the great podcast, The Mighty Elkhorn. And I say that without the quotes because The Mighty Elkhorn is the nickname that Elkhorn has received in my Twitch chat. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the great email, Elkhorn. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, I was thinking about this as well. And seeing as redstone power also goes from 0 to 15, I was wondering if giving things like redstone lamps a light level based on the redstone power received might be a possible I don't want to say solution, but a possible light level like feature that you could be, you know, adding into the game, though I'm not sure if that's technically problematic in the way that like a redstone lamp will power the lamp next to it currently in the sometimes, uh, at least it used to be like that. So like, I, I don't know how that might work technically, but I like the idea of having some sort of player control. Um, the issue there, of course, is that if you wanted to create a, a series of lights that would be dimmable, the redstone that you'd have to implement in behind the scenes would just be really 
kind of gangly, I would imagine, to try and sort out. Um, sea pickles and candles make sense as they are, you know, with more candles giving off more light or the reverse. Uh, old-fashioned lanterns were traditionally trimmed, controlling both the smoke inside, but also the light that they were giving out. So I could see that mechanic being implemented with lanterns. Like you could, you know, if you add a little squeak noise to it when you click on it, it could sound like you're you're dialing back the wick, you know, or you're increasing the, if it's a, you know, it's supposed to be like a natural kerosene lamp or something, like maybe you're adding more fuel or reducing the fuel that's being burned. Uh, that kind of thing could be kind of cool. Uh, I don't know if if all 16 levels of light into a lantern would necessarily make sense. I, I feel like they might, if it was implemented, it would be probably less than 15. You'd probably get like, you know, multiples of three or five, you know, to kind of see, because from examples that we have in the game so far, they, they, there's not a lot of increments of one between different light sources, things like soul sand torches versus regular torches, soul sand lanterns versus regular lanterns. There's a discrepancy, but it's it's usually in chunks of three or five. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm sort of curious about why this hasn't been done before, because it seems a bit like a no brainer to to give the player more of an adjustable light source. The mm -hmm. the the sea pickles and candles, yeah, like it's like three, six, nine, twelve, or whatever sort of increments it happens to be. I think it. It makes a lot of sense, but it's the kind of thing that they want players to have less control over, maybe so they come up with more analog solutions for it, in kind of the same way that for Redstone, we don't just have one block that does everything. You kind of have to work out the circuitry for a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. I sort of feel like... I, I saw Etho do a, a Redstone lighting setup a while ago that was kind of... It was a dimmer that happened... It, it came into the floor because, of course, the floor being the most sensible place to light the 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 ground around you to prevent mob spawns but if you just stacked a column of redstone lamps underneath the floor because redstone lamps are transparent and will let light through from other redstone lamps below them you just had to activate them in a sequence vertically and you effectively got a dimmer and then you could kind of control that using maybe an item frame on the wall linked to a comparator or you know whatever you happen to want so there are ways of doing this kind of thing already, but they are much more complex than just right-clicking on a block. And I don't know if it's maybe not wanting to implement too many things like note blocks, which just kind of fiddly to work with, and then, you know, one misclick can lead to you having to cycle through the entire thing again, and it gets kind of repetitive in the same way that breaking and rehanging a painting over and over again so that you get the right painting on the wall feels repetitive. I sort of wonder if maybe there's kind of like maybe a pushback against giving players that level of control just because it becomes too fiddly to work with after a while. Yeah, I could, I could see that. Uh, I have an idea um, for a data pack that I'm currently trying to work through. I won't get into too many details here. So big, big old fat teaser here um, for the light block and, and, and how that might be given to the player in survival and what that could look like uh, potentially. But uh, I don't know quite yet how to do it. I have an idea for the concept, but I just, I don't know enough yet about how to code a data pack, but I think I'm going to use the excuse to learn how to code a data pack, which would be fun in itself. Uh, and I, I've had some people offer to help, uh, as well, which is going to be fun too. But, um, yeah, like I, I feel like to get into the, um, the minutia of like all 
16 stages of, of a light thing. It's um, someone in our chat mentioned that there's a, already a multiple number of blocks. The problem there is that they're, you know, they have different um, placeability features, you know, like uh, th there's things that happen, like there's noise and smoke with campfires. There's lanterns can't be placed on the walls, which seems so bizarre to me, you know, that you have to put a torch on a wall that looks like it just stuck there. But this thing that has a metal casing, I can't fasten to the wall. Yeah. Um, so there's all these limitations about where you can put things. Lava is going to um, burn stuff. Sea pickles yeah. have to be placed in water to produce water. light, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sea pickles on land are, I mean imaginary candles for now until we get real candles in mm -hmm. 117 like they're re they really don't have much use um again outside of data packs uh, i've seen people use them for different models and things but like it's just yeah it just, it's it's one of those things where like i can i can see the potential and i think so many people see the potential but then when it comes to the actual implementation you start to trip up real quick right yeah yeah i, th I think that's that's the case so yeah i i'm curious i think it's it's nice that we at least have the light block because that leap that leaves the door open for something like this to be implemented in future and for now it's good as an option for creative players and i think maybe it also comes down to survival players not really needing anything other than just the brightest thing possible like the different levels of lighting while fun don't really impact most people's game in ways other than preventing mob spawning you don't see people using light as an artistic thing so much but maybe that's because we don't have the option to do that i'm i'm not entirely certain and then you know if it was just redstone lamps then a redstone lamp isn't going to look good in all of the places that you want to have dimmable lights so yeah yeah there's there's a lot to consider i think when lighting is considered when lighting is on the table i think it's it's probably going to be a matter of a massive overhaul further down the line than just kind of individual little changes like this Moving on into the main discussion, uh, you had some thoughts about what these raw ore changes were going to do to the, the caving experience in Minecraft. Yeah, I was thinking about just changes to the caving meta in general. I mean, ore distribution having been such a big change to that, the, the addition of all of these other blocks below the world that we currently know as well. And now we have fortune being useful for iron and gold and copper. We have some ores being more hidden behind walls so that players consider strategies like diving into flooded areas in order to get their first iron stuff like that is really starting to open up the caving meta and making a variety of strategies more viable and so i was wondering if we could just do kind of a, a, a recap of that along with some more of our thoughts from this week's snapshot and the changes to ore blocks because i really feel like with these changes, caving is being rebalanced to have much more long-term and late-game benefits. The path through survival in 116 and earlier really feels like it's been, you know, early, get hold of iron, get hold of diamonds. As soon as you need a higher quantity of iron, make an iron farm. You know, as soon as you want to make, you know, a large-scale storage system, you need all of the iron for hoppers and everything like that, you make an iron farm. I don't think that's going to change, but I think caving is now going to be a much more viable option than it was before on account of fortuning iron being a possibility. And I think the desire to get as much as possible out of every ore block as early as possible is going to lead to more experienced players leaving a lot of iron ore alone until they can get hold of a fortune pick, um, potentially exploring villagers or rushing enchanting tables to get hold of early fortune tools and then 
going back into caves and, and mining out all of the iron that they've left behind. Um, I, I was wondering, uh, obviously you've got a fairly established server right now, so you're not really hurting for iron as such, and you've got an iron farm set up already, but do you see yourself going after iron when you go caving after the, the update arrives, or do you think you're just going to keep relying on your iron farm for that? Well, I mean, despite having an iron farm, it's pretty far away, and I still can't control myself when I'm in a cave underneath the medieval city and I happen to see iron in the wall. I mine it. Yeah. Because uh -huh. it's like a twitch. I kind of have to. Um, and But I, I was thinking about this a lot because I do want to do a, a, a new single-player snapshot um, survival playthrough. Uh, and... I was thinking about how I'm going to approach this, like what's going to be the most efficient use of time? How am I going to do this differently than when I first played Minecraft so I can have a different experience? And I don't see myself walking past iron and waiting for fortune because I know how often you can find iron in the ground uh, with more ground to sort through. And if it's going to be available in caves and the caves are going to be more interesting and more fun to go through, then I see myself getting iron as I see it while I'm working towards fortune. That's probably what I would do, uh, whether that's going to a village, you know, wh like whatever it happens to be, I'm going to need to get an iron pickaxe to get going anyway. So like, I'm not going to just wait um, until I have all the things, but uh, I see myself, as I mentioned before, I tend to go more for silk touch than I go for fortune. Um, but given the, the new ways that, that these ores drop specifically when I go into a new world, I miss automation. Like I, I start farming things by hand. I start, you know, having to do all that kind of stuff by hand and it's entertaining for about 30 minutes. And then I'm just like, okay, now I have to go back and get more bread because I ran out of food. Like where's mm -hmm. my auto chicken cooker? Like all that kind of stuff. But those things all require things like redstone and, and whatnot to, to help out. And in some cases, uh, gold for um, uh, powered rails, things that might require your your redstone contraptions might be required to have these things in order to work. So I think for experienced pl uh, players, this change might be a refreshing bit where you're not going to miss that automation quite as much Yeah. as you're establishing a, fo a foothold in the new world. I think that might be good. Like in, in a great way, you might slow players down a little bit rather than the race to beat the Ender Dragon on the first day of a server, like and all that kind of stuff that you see on, on, on YouTube. I feel like you, you might see a little bit more of a change of, of pace for people that might want to explore a different way. Or if they have enough iron coming in, they might not feel that, that need to go get an iron farm until like you said, they're at that stage where, okay, now I'm, I'm making hoppers faster than I'm finding iron in the walls of these caves. It's going to be a lot more work. Yeah. Um, I think I think that's the most important aspect of this is to recognize that it's a rebalancing but not a replacement for anything else, right? Because mm -hmm. um, I've seen a few people getting paranoid that this means Mojang is going to revisit and nerf iron farms again. And I don't expect that to be the case, largely because, you know, you're, you're taking the blocks out of the ground. They are gone forever. You know, a renewable source of iron is still really quite valuable to servers long term and even to single player worlds on a long enough scale you're going to deplete all of the 
actual resources in an area and while there might be the occasional vein of iron still left in the walls of a cave that you didn't quite mine through at the time you are not going to get all of your iron this way so i think a more balanced approach to things and maybe being a little bit more fair with resources earlier on when you have such a broad player base on some of these more public servers you're going to find that having more iron this way is really good and helps get your early game going if not necessarily faster than without the need to go and look up the latest iron farm tutorial right away and with caves being a bit more fun to explore as well it just encourages the caving experience in a way that people feel has been lacking from minecraft for quite a while um there's one thing simply sark pointed out on twitter when it comes to the difference between uh stone iron ore and deep slate iron ore is that they are two completely separate blocks and as such there is the potential for deep slate iron and deep slate gold to have an increased chance of dropping more raw material in future so maybe rewarding players for searching that far down in the world and again maybe you know, contributing to inventory clutter a little bit more than they've expected it to but deep slate iron could drop a greater range of stuff with fortune it could be between one and six instead of between one and four items and then you have a little bit more reason to go mining for iron in those deep slate layers scarce though it is because it gets a little bit less as you go that far down in the world i think maybe mechanics like that are going to encourage a little bit more strategy again in in caving and again change the meta a little bit for where you find these materials and which patches of materials you go for if there is potential for certain regions to have more valuable supplies of the same thing. I think that's something that I missed out on on the Nether update because we already had the established server. We already explored the Nether, found where we needed to go, had an established hub, gold farm, wither skeleton farm. We had all that stuff. So I didn't have that new shiny, we have to go through this crimson forest, warped forest to get to the... Um, another fortress that we don't know where it is you know uh and i'm i'm sure that to, like it's an assumption but i feel like the changes to um ore distribution the uh the changing in in raw ore and making it more appealing to mine iron uh in, a, in the we'll call it an old-fashioned way um for the lack of a better term is a deliberate move by design to try and not necessarily slow down the player in early game, but to allow the player to enjoy, or as you mentioned via, you know, um, Simply Sark's idea, uh, incentivize the player to explore more and enjoy the Caves and Cliffs update. Because if it wasn't the case, if nothing was changing, if the ore distribution wasn't happening, if, if the, the raw iron and raw gold wasn't a thing, players would just be straight to making iron farms right it would just i shouldn't say players some, some players would would be skipping over content that mojang is working very hard on and would potentially miss it yeah and then you then you have people going like well i didn't really see much about the caves and close updates like well that's because you didn't take the time <laughs> that's, you know that's because you, you're not you know, digging straight down enough <laughs> yeah well and i mean and this is something that i'm 
a little concerned about, I guess. I mean, because I'm a builder and because things look so cool in the, in the new underground stuff, like I'm going to be seeking it out to do an underground build. Like that's going to be what happens. But uh, I don't need to go there for resources. No one does on the Citadel when, when we update it, right? It's going to be purely for what does it look like? What's it like to go explore it, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's purely adventure as opposed to any kind of need. Uh, unless we did something where, we, you know, we'd start like a, a zone where people would be asked to leave everything behind and like teleport, you know, out there and, and try to live out there for like a couple months, which actually could be kind of fun. I just thought about that right now. Yeah. Um, but like stuff like that could be kind of cool. But uh, but I feel like, you know, the the, the appeal and the the changes there are. Um, I don't want to I, like, I, I can't say because I don't know how you know, the developers at Mojang feel about things like iron farms and whatnot. They obviously keep them in the game. If they hated them with the passion of a thousand suns, they would have just removed them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it can't feel good if you're putting all this care and all this work into beautiful artwork and gameplay and experiences and all this thought that we know that Mojang puts into this kind of stuff only to have players skip over it because they just want to rush to get more things. And I feel like this is a, a deliberate slowdown in a very good way. I think it's balanced. Like you said, I, I, it doesn't remove anything. I think anybody that thinks that iron farms are going to go away might be wearing a tinfoil hat. Like I, I'm sure yeah. they're going to stay pretty much the way that they are. Although question, while I put on my tinfoil visor <laughs> just a little <laughs> bit, um, do you think iron golems will continue to drop iron ingots or would there be a chance that they dry, might drop raw iron? It's still the same result. You still get an iron ingot. You would just have to smelt it first. Yeah, like I, I kind of touched on this earlier. I, I think at that point, iron golems are still meant to feel a little bit more like they've been refined into mm. the, mm-hmm. the iron constructs that we have. And it, it might change things up, but it's not going to change things a huge amount. We already have iron farms that output into composters so that the poppies can get turned into bone meal. It wouldn't take a great deal of care to just run the the raw iron that iron farms dropped into a furnace or a blast furnace first and then you know it just gets output to a chest from there there'd be virtually no difference except the need to refuel it every now and again which is just you know a chest full of buckets of lava or coal blocks or whatever you happen to have so yeah i still want them to use raw iron for other things here and there because it's nice that it exists and a lot of the time in minecraft we get multiple ways of acquiring the same thing and there are multiple paths to i mean iron farms versus mining for iron is one example of that right so mm-hmm. potentially we can see it be used for for other stuff in other places um i'm trying to think about changes to caving that are going to be along the same lines as this like small things that are just going to make caving a little bit more of a fun incentive for people and I personally wonder if the minecart has a greater role to play in future caving adventures. And we're obviously going to revisit minecarts a lot in future discussions because they have expressed in the past that the developers want to overhaul minecarts at some stage. But right now, I think minecart tracks are mostly player made, right? The, the one exception being abandoned mine shafts where the tracks don't really lead anywhere. And, and I was thinking of an example from the game Terraria, which we know Minecraft devs and Terraria devs have like a, a, a very kind of a good relationship. Like they've they've clearly recommended each other's games in the past and so forth. Um, one thing Terraria does really well is generate underground minecart tracks, which you can ride as soon as you find them. And which usually, if not always, terminate in or near some sort of feature of the underground. So you ride it from whatever you point you 
happen to stumble upon it to one end, you normally find something like an underground structure or it ends in a cave filled with gemstones and sometimes it's a den of spiders and it's a bad thing and, you know, fool you for jumping on this minecart and not thinking where you were going, just getting in without considering the consequences. But then minecart tracks can also take the player through dangerous areas like a, a lava pool or a long section of water where you might run out of oxygen. There are a variety of ways that minecarts get used and then players can also use them to set up their own infrastructure. And so I was wondering maybe if in future you could find abandoned mineshafts that actually go somewhere and we've talked about them terminating in geodes on on the show before just in terms of finding a geode attached to an abandoned mineshaft but i think it'd be really fun to have a minecart rail that you could get on and it actually still led you somewhere like a roller coaster and that lends a sense of adventure to caving whilst also then rewarding the player for taking that risk of potentially running into a dungeon spawner and suddenly being surrounded by mobs or maybe just coming out in a cave that has one of those larger nodes of diamond or redstone or one of the, one of the sort of larger veins of material in it i love the idea like I, can you imagine you're going down the the minecart rail that you decided to explore you just hit go caution to the wind and it forks up ahead of you and mm-hmm. you can see the switch that you have to shoot with the arrow <laughs> yeah. to, make, to make it it's... to switch it. And you don't know which way to go. And you just hope that it goes to the basket of gold and not the cave spider spawner that dumps you into spider webs like instant death. Right. I mean, it could be really high risk reward. Uh, the only thing that I would see being really challenging about that would be. The way that they do abandoned mine shafts now with them hanging from ceilings and being broken up by the cheese caves and stuff like that, I feel like more often than not, even if a mine shaft was carefully designed to do that, there'd only be so many ways it could come together uh, before it starts to be like, you've seen three, you've seen them all. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it has so much potential to be interrupted by like, well, I was on the way to someplace cool, but now I'm going into a brick wall because, the, you know, the thing, the cave generated and cut the minecart yeah. part off, yeah. you know, okay. which would, it would eliminate, like if, if all the mine shafts were clean, then it would also eliminate them being abandoned and caved in and kind of you know, busted up and stuff. Yeah, I, I I sort of like the idea of there being a mineshaft that generates bisected by a ravine and then you think you're getting to the end of a minecart track and it just dumps you into a ravine at the end of it and goes, well, <laughs> fend for yourself. I think there's mm-hmm. there's some fun to be had there, obviously, with the right amount of, like you said, careful curation and stuff like that. But that, that kind of ties into uh, another thing I thought could change about caving in future and the caving meta in general. And this ties into something Zero Fox apparently wrote to us uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, abandoned mineshafts could maybe do with an overhaul beyond what they've had already. I-, I think in terms of the resources you can acquire them more so than the aesthetic look of them and them generating in caves, I think it'd be fun to have more themed mineshafts in the same way that the Badlands biome has its own variant and we know Badlands have as more surface gold, so it's often good to uh, go looking there. Um, and even more surface gold now that we have raw gold as an option. Um, but I was wondering if maybe some sort of surface mine entrance structure would be cool. Could be the start of one of these minecart tracks, or perhaps like, you know, a, a coal mine in mountain biomes or something like that. 
but then maybe finding areas where they've whatever civilization has left these mine shafts behind has been mining specifically for redstone and you find more redstone in those shafts than others and maybe lapis in another one perhaps not diamond because then that just means uh, you know an enormous mm-hmm. windfall and people seek out specifically the diamond mine shafts but i think there could be uh there could be some fun to be had having more of a thematic element to mine shafts especially if they generate further down in the world I love the idea of having like a specific mine shaft. Like I, th- I think that that, because I really enjoyed the the experience that I had when I found an abandoned mine shaft in a mesa for the first time. Because I didn't know they did that. I didn't know they were made of dark oak wood, and I didn't know that they had more gold in them. Yeah. I was just like, oh, cool! It's on the surface. They do that. Like I had no clue, and it was a really fun experience. And I think that you could you could really have some fun with that because similar to and this is again a rudimentary understanding of it but similar to lush caves and dripstone caves um you could just apply them in the same way in terms of like you know the biome paint for the lack of a better term um and have them appear in specific not just biomes but like areas in the overworld generation that would be specific to all the different resources that you can get and again i agree with with the exception of diamond because that would be uh uh op and just it would drive players to go to go straight there but um yeah that sounds that sounds great yeah badlands are the only biomes where abandoned mineshaft generation really reaches the surface i think maybe once or twice i've seen one in an ocean biome by accident uh where like a, a layer of gravel hasn't generated properly and has exposed you know the the pillars and stuff for for an abandoned mineshaft underneath but i think it'd be kind of cool to have more hints about where they were they're they're Mm. fun to stumble on and especially as you're caving you start to see them more and more in the snapshots but i do sort of wonder if there is room for them elsewhere in the world or a structure like them as we get into other things that can make caving more exciting for players and other strategies that players can employ to find specific resources I think that's pretty much all we've got time for on this week's show, but if you have any suggestions related to this week's topic of how the caving meta could still evolve in future updates, then you can email the show once again. The email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. That's going to be it for this episode. You can find more information about the show and some of the stuff we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, And the Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you get some value out of the show, please consider putting some value back in at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. That's where you can join our community. Pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can listen to the show live if you're up at that time. And it also gets us closer to our next milestone goal, the monthly Minecraft audio hangout. We actually had a patron hangout this weekend talking about uh, the behind the scenes elements of how we make the show and going over some facts and figures with the crew it was really nice to uh, chat to everybody about those that is also now up on the patron rss feed if you want to listen to that and we also revealed that we are now back up to 245 patrons which is an increase of seven from last week thank you so much to everybody who has jumped on board or even increased their pledge recently really appreciated and special thanks go out to our content engineers general pattern 82 greener canuck hunter 555 jumbo sale and yitz for their support on this episode 
Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram, but a personal recommendation is by far the easiest way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance, tell them about The Spawn Chunks and where they can go to listen. Those places include iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. Honestly, wherever you can find a podcast, you can find The Spawn Chunks. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Please use that email address. The RSS feed is linked on thespawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can find the render distance, the extended version of the podcast, and the bonus stuff that we do, like quarterly hangouts and any future goals. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. That's how you can find me on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm going to skip my usual plugs this week to plug another podcast that I was a guest on. Uh, my college friend AJ runs a Dungeons & Dragons actual play podcast called Pretending with Dice, and in their off-season they do a bunch of world-building and interview shows. AJ and I were able to catch up and talk about Minecraft, becoming a career content creator, and my first steps into D&D. It was the first time I've actually spoken to him for about 10 years, because we know each other from, like, way back. Uh, so it was a really fun chat. You can find that at pretendingwithdice.podbean.com. We'll have a link to the exact episode in the show notes. But if you want to check out the show, you can also find it wherever you find your usual podcasts. Joel, where can people find you online? Well, immediately after this show, people can find me online listening to Pretending with Dice, because that sounds like a fantastic interview. Uh, everything else I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. The Citadel Cafe is my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. You can find that at thecitadelcafe.com. Megan and I talked about uh, Dota, Dragon's Blood, as well as Star Trek Picard last week. And, uh, of course, Stephen and I are talking about Falcon and the Winter Soldier on the one that's in the hopper. You can find me at Joel Duggan on social media and at Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I'm playing an awful lot of Minecraft, uh, having some fun and satisfactory, and who knows what's next? Come on by. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite. And to quote Gordon Ramsay, It's raw!